Hi, everybody. This is a continuation of my series where we're chatting with uh, with every mom. Um, although every mother is different and every childbirth experience is different and every woman is different. So I'm speaking today with Pamela. Pamela, would you mind introducing yourself to our listeners? Sure. Hi, my name is Pamela. Pamela Schneider, Pam Rock, two different names. And uh, I'm a creative director in the entertainment industry. I write and direct shows um, and uh, work for Moment Factory currently or before I was on maternity. And was, uh, um, yeah, I don't know. I started that company with the founders 12, 20 years ago, 21 years ago. And um, I'm a little bit nomadic as well and worked all over the world. Um, lived in Israel, Ethiopia, Paris, three different places, many different places, and um, I'm currently in Montreal. And you're a mother. And I am currently 100% a mother. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I've always loved listening to both stories, and I know some of our listeners do too, so I don't want you to go into all the details, but let us hear your birth story. Yes. So I um, planned to have a home birth and always envisioned my birth as being extremely, oh, my baby's coughing. Um, always, uh, yeah, visualized my birth being at home in a, in water or nearby water, having water involved. And I prepared my birth to be exactly that. I actually um, had delivered a baby. I actually delivered a baby um, alone in a home with uh, an amazing mother who gave birth for the first time um, in Hawaii, just in a yurt with uh, not even a car around or anywhere and not even knowing what the hospital was. So I had a very strong belief and did a lot of work on releasing any kind of fear um, surrounded around childbirth. And so I really um, was super excited to have my own birth in that way and um, being in Montreal at the time I um, needed to work with a uh, birth um, a facilitator and so I um, was with the midwife at the birthing center at um, Maison de Naissance Cote de Neige and they followed me and we seemed to have a very similar perspective or they were listening to my birth wishes in terms of um, really believing that if we release any fear that there we could use words like surges or um, you know take out any words that were related to pain being a negative thing or just even for pain just thinking of it as a new sensation that we'd never felt before and I did a lot of I was um, doing the hypnobirthing um, exercises every day and I was reading a lot of books and um, every day would have these amazing dreams about my, my um, birth experience and then labor started and I went into latent latent phase labor uh, um, I, my due date was the 18th of December and um, around the 13th I started getting some contractions 
and they weren't regular. So um, I was still very much in touch with my midwives at the time. And they just, um, of course, they said, you know, count the five one one. So it, when they start to be every five minutes for one minute for an hour, um, then give us a call. So they, the contractions were sometimes regular, but not um, consistently for an hour. And then they would stop and I was able to sleep at night. And so um, I was getting pretty excited. We filled up the bath and the house um, and everything was ready. I had, you know, my incense, my candles. We even put on like a neon sign with a pregnant, pregnant mom um, image on the window. So everyone knew that I was going into labor. And around the 18th, just went on for a couple of days, around the 18th of December when she was actually due, they started to be more regular. Um, and they lasted, they were about every five minutes for a minute, for an hour. And I called my midwife and it was late at night. So she just said, well, try and lie down and see if they continue. Cause she asked me if I had any pain, which I had asked her not to do, but anyway, <laughs> um, I didn't have any pain. I. I mean, it was uncomfortable, but I wouldn't consider that it was painful. Um, so she asked me to lie down, and so I did, and I was able to fall asleep. And the next day, um, nothing happened in the day, but around when night fell, when it got dark in the house, again, they started. And again, she asked me to lie down for, to sleep, and if I could sleep, that it would be fine. So again, they stopped. And then the, the next day, they started to get more intense. So I would consider I had a little bit of pain or the comfort was more str stronger. And she decided to come to the house and check to check me because she was going out of town the next day. So she just wanted to see kind of where I was at. So she came by the house and she checked and I was about, I think, around two centimeters dilated. So not much, but um, something was something was happening. And so she again just said, you know, keep going through the contractions and if you can lie down and fall asleep then you know it's still late in labor so that happened then they went on for about three hours um that one night and got really intense and I had to like hang on this these rings that I had put in and every time I would hang on the rings I could release any kind of discomfort that I had but again after those three hours um I went to sleep and I fell asleep so it was they stopped again the next day I got a call from the birthing center and they had um, told me that they got that two of the midwives were diagnosed with COVID-19 and that about, I don't know how many of the midwives, something like 10 of the other midwives had to go into quarantine because they somehow were in contact with the two people that had COVID, including my two midwives. <laughs> so that was hugely shocking and all of a sudden put this really lot of fear into my system which I had been mm. working so hard and getting rid of and I was super freaked out because with that they also said well I'm not no longer allowed to do a home birth because they don't have enough resources to send if if they have somebody in labor at the birthing center they can't send one two midwives to my house to facilitate my home labor so that you know, was a complete, I know that, you know, I'd done also a lot of work that like knowing and accepting and embracing that every birth there, you know, you can't expect anything and you have to go with the flow and let whatever happened happen. But 
um, as much as I prepared for that, I still was not willing to let go of my home birth yeah. experience that I had visualized so much and prepared for um, in my beautiful space. So that's where I met Rivka. Um, actually, I called uh, a few people. Actually, a cousin of mine had told me at one point when I, um, hey, Bupa, you're talking about you. Um, when I had told her that I couldn't find a midwife at the beginning of my pregnancy because they were all um, full, she had told me that she knew of a midwife that you know doesn't work with one of the birthing centers that you could work with potentially privately or something. She didn't really exactly know, but anyway, at this point, I called her and I said, "Who's that person you were mentioning?" So um, I got on the phone with Rivka, who totally helped me um, calm myself down remember my strengths remember that you know it's a mother-led birth and that I'm in control well now I'm not in control of the birth now uh, you know me and the baby is but um that I you know I need to connect with my instincts again and um connect with my visualization and really feel into what I need to do and kind of gave me some options um in terms of protocols and what's happening in the you know public health system of Quebec um, and it it was definitely um, a little bit of a I, I felt like I was on a little bit of a wobbly uh, just unstable ground let's just say mm -hmm. because if I stayed and continued to do my home birth um, I had a, also a wonderful doula who um, was one of one of Rifka's students Bria who also was was following me and with me during this experience and um so you know she was part of the scenario of the option of okay well Bria could be with me at home and if I feel like my birth is going to go as smoothly as it was going in my dreams I could potentially continue to do my birth at home and my husband would be there and the bath is there and if I felt like she was just coming the way I had envisioned then I could continue that and Rivka can be on call to be there and support me as well um, but I also needed to know and realize that legally um, no one of the of no one within that support network that would be with me would be able or legally allowed to check my cervix or uh, cut the umbilical cord of the baby um, or do anything I guess related to anything medical which even though I believed I wouldn't need any of those things, I, it also made me feel unsafe to not have that as an option if I needed, you know, and, and, you know, when I delivered the baby in Hawaii, she thought she would just want to be totally alone. And um, in the end, after, you know, four hours of push of um, contractions, she was like, can you check my cervix? And I was like, I don't even know what a cervix is. But um, so I just I remembered that moment and I was mm -hmm. like, I might want somebody to check my cervix <laughs> at a certain point. Um, so I still had that as an option. I was like, OK, well, if the contractions go and I feel strong, I, I, I try. I, Rivka helped me understand that I just needed to trust my um, my mother's instincts and trust what I was feeling. And that at the time when active labor, labor started, I would know. And I actually felt that as soon as she said that, I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll know. As soon as this labor starts again, I'll know. Um, meanwhile, all of the contractions that I had been having for those four days stopped um, during these two days of, of limbo. 
and I talked to the birthing center and the reason also I was so like needing to stay at home is I also didn't feel so safe about going to the birthing center which even though they did take a lot of protocols there were still two midwives that had COVID there and who knows where they got them and we don't know that much about COVID so it also freaked me out a little bit to be there so I felt like both my places were you know were unsafe um so in a couple days um speaking a lot with you Rivka which thank you again um just helping me again find my ground. Uh, if I guess finally Nafi, the name of my baby, decided that she was, you know, that the, the space was safe again and she could start trying. And um, I also felt that my husband too was really supportive and was like, you know what, you'll just know, you just got to go with the flow. Like there's always, there was always the option of calling 911 and having the paramedics come and weigh the baby once she's born. And, you know, that we, we had our options and I felt safe. And, um, the contraction started pretty much clockwork once I felt safe again and they the intensity rose they were stronger than they were before and I and I had this one night where they got so intense I was literally between the bathroom and the the rings that I had set up and the bath just going in circles always in movement felt like this was happening she's coming um and then but during the contractions, which now having gone through labor, I know is very strange. I could feel Nafi, my baby, like wiggling. She was frantically like squirming during the contractions. So every time I'd have this contraction, I'd feel this intense pressure and this sort of pushing. Um, but at the same time, I could feel her frantically wave moving around like I'd never felt her before and at the time I was excited by it because midwives would always say make sure she's moving can you feel her moving that's really important so I was like yeah I can feel her moving she's moving crazy like I've never felt her before um though I remember telling my midwife that and her being like squiggling frantically during the contraction at the same time as the contraction I was like yeah every time I'd get a contraction she'd like freak out um so now you know, after that happened for, that went on for, I don't know, four hours, something like that. And I, I spoke to Rivka, I think, I'm not exactly remember when, but ended up lying down and they slowed down and they stayed while I was lying down, but I was, they got a lot softer and she stopped twiggling. And the next day I woke up, maybe I slept a couple hours, two hours or something like that. And um, the contractions had stopped again all day. And I remember speaking to Rivka you know you were telling me like you have to listen to the baby maybe she's trying to tell you something or um you know something's maybe going on and um I'm trying to remember exactly what happened I think at this point I was now at 40 maybe 41 weeks and that night again they started but I didn't feel Nafi in the same way and the intensity wasn't as as strong and again my midwife who was still in quarantine she was still talking to me and following me and she was saying maybe you should go you know to the birthing center um and maybe just try and see if you can like pump and sort of uh, be already in a safe place I already know the room because I also had never seen the rooms over there um, and uh, they had one room with a bath, 
so um, I really wanted to be in a bath when I gave birth. So they were like, look, that room's available right now. Why don't you come to the birthing center? Maybe the fact that you're here will help you help the labor continue. Maybe because I also did have, I know that one of the fears that I tried to work through was that when I go into active labor, I didn't want to have to transition to a new location. I wanted to be where, that's why I wanted to be at home. I just wanted to be at home when it started. because I had a feeling that like having to go in the car for 25 minutes and then getting to a new space and then not being comfortable might also stop my labor. So I was like, okay, so let me go to the birthing center. So I went there and I pumped and we like prepared the room and nothing happened. So I went home and this kind of went on until I was at 42 weeks. Um, at which point the midwives are not allowed to follow me anymore. And the only option would be to be at home and do an illegal birth with no support or with support, but no one that is legally allowed to touch me um, or be at the hospital. And at this point, um, also my naturopath was also helping me and with Rizka's support and her, the naturopath and Bria who all all were creating this amazing mother circle around me um helped me just realize like maybe Nafi wants to be at the hospital maybe that's why she's waiting maybe something's wrong maybe she's giving you a sign and it kept coming back to me that that time that she was squiggling inside of me because it felt like she was going to come that day but that squiggle it was really frantic you know um mm. it wasn't smooth um not that birth has to be smooth but it, it especially now that I felt contractions for another 28 hours after that, um, it definitely was not normal the way she was squiggling. So I was like, okay, maybe she does just want to be at the hospital. Maybe that's what she needs to feel safe. Um, and I need to listen to that. So I went to the hospital, but I still, I mean, I wasn't fully convinced. I still had um, one shot left. So when I got to the hospital, I did the NTS or the, the non-stress test, NST test and Matthew was fine her heartbeat was fine everything was good I was I think at like two centimeters at this point still um so nothing had changed and they suggested that they said that look since everything looks good we'll let you continue with the midwife for 24 hours so you can essentially you know give birth at the maison de naissance if you go into labor in the next 24 hours which you know wasn't very freeing <laughs> but a little bit of time constraint on me, which definitely I think is um, like anti-productive for going into labor, but they suggested putting a Foley inside me. So that's like a balloon that they blow up to, I think three or four centimeters they put inside and then attach this rubber to your leg. And so every time you move or squat or go up the stairs, you're sort of pulling on this um, sort of faux head <laughs> like they make this fake head that would push down on your cervix so it opens you up um so I decided to put that in which when they described it to me I didn't realize it would be attached to my leg and pulling it out but um which was super uncomfortable but anyways I put in this they put in this foley and I went home and they were kind of like well if something's pushing down on your cervix maybe it'll start your labor and you'll go you know into active labor um, without it being induced in any other way. So I went home and yeah, it started opening up. It started getting these even more intense contractions. I went in the bath and actually I had this mother's circle. I, I did this mother's blessing uh, about a month before where there were about 40 women uh, that are close to me of all ages 
uh, gathered on Zoom and did this blessing for my birth and lit a candle as soon as my labor started. And so we sent a message to all of them to say, hey, can everybody do a meditation at 9 p.m.? Just visualizing my labor happening and or my, you know, my birth happening that night. And so at like 9 p.m., I was in the bath with this foley and everybody was meditating on my <laughs> simple, beautiful, natural birth happening that night. And the foley came out and I dilated to four centimeters and my labor went on for six hours actively. Um, and then I lied down and it stopped. Hmm. So I went to the hospital. <laughs> I didn't really have any other choice. And um, again, was so supported. Thank God for Rivka and Bria. Bria joined me at the hospital. And this is where everything shifted, I think, for me as mother and realizing the daughter that I have and how it's no longer about me and it's now all about her. <laughs> um, where, you know, I'm I'm very much somebody I'm like take all natural herbs and never take medication. I, you know, I, I I never take a Tylenol or even if I have a headache, a migraine, like I'm really sort of I don't use the medical system in that way. I, I use herbs. And so being at the hospital was really challenging for me. But I was like, you know what, if I go in with this perspective of hating where I am, that's not going to help my process or help my relationship even with the doctors. Because then, yeah, I, I kind of was like that during the NST test, the non-stress test. And my relationship with the resident there and the doctor there was very uh, distant and cold and sort of frustrating. So I went in with a new perspective. And when I got there, I was just, you know, I, I, I practiced a lot of gratitude. And when I got there, I was just very grateful that I had nurses there, I had doctors there, I had people with experience and that um, I had people with different perspectives than me that could help me through because the perspective that I had, you know, there was unable to deliver with the pun intended. <laughs> um, so uh, I int was introduced to the nurses and the, even the resident that was there the day before was there as well that day. And we had a very negative experience at the first because she was kind of like, you know, stop asking questions about this Foley. Like you've been here asking questions all night. If you want it, you want it and put it in. If not, then just go. And she was just really, it was really difficult. So I addressed it when she was then going to be my resident delivering my baby. So I said, you know, like, I know we have different perspectives. I know that you, you see your perspective as right. And I just want you to respect that. I see my perspective as working for me. And uh, right now I need your help, you know, and you're working on my body with my baby. So let's find a middle ground. And I want to hear everything that you have to say. And I, as in return, if you can hear everything that I'm feeling and what I'd like to do and, that'll help us find a, a good middle ground to travel on and it completely shifted the energy there which was amazing the the nurse that I had name her name was Emily which was my first niece and you know so I asked her if I could call her Emilichka which is the name I call my niece and that brought like some humor into the space and 
The midwife also suggested, look, she said that room, ask for room six. It was a room that was made specifically for the midwives and it was gorgeous. It was huge with this panoramic view of Montreal with the sunset and sunrise and a jacuzzi in the bathtub. So that was great. And then she also said, you know, they don't, they don't bring it out for anybody and they probably don't know where it is, but insist on getting a wireless monitor. They have them, a portable monitor, because I'm also a dancer. And so to the thought of being connected to a monitor was horrifying um, for me. I needed to be moving around. So they found me the portable monitor. And then she also told me that they have this attachment that they can put on the bed that I can hang on because I also, I love to hang. And I knew that that would help um, in releasing any like pressure that I would have during the contraction. So I got all of that and they broke my water when I got there and I went into like eight hours of active labor with intense contractions and I was hanging and I was all these positions and going crazy and uh, moving between the back and hanging and Bria was there holding me and stretching out my ribs and my chest and uh, you know super consistent. And um, the doctor came in and when the doctor came in to check me, I lied down and they stopped. <laughs> um, and she checked me and she saw that I got to four and a half. I think I, I opened about half a centimeter um, during those eight hours, which was pretty um, disheartening. And that Nappy's head was still, still two centimeters above my cervix. So it still wasn't putting any pressure on my cervix. Push me down, push it, not open it up. So I was like, okay, well, what are my options? I had respond the phone um, as I wanted support in knowing how I can move forward from here. And the doctor suggested that I get some oxytocin, um, which would mean that I would be connected to an IV. And, you know, as much as I wanted it to be a natural labor, I, I you know, I wanted to avoid a cesarean at all costs. So um, I took that option and felt very good about taking the option and having heard sort of my, all the perspectives that were on the table and the guidance that I had from the amazing people around me. So I took the IV and um, wasn't so bad being on the portable monitor because I could still move around and get in the bath and everything. And the, the contractions intensified again for another, I think another 10 hours or 12 hours, maybe 14 hours. <laughs> And the, I mean, the amazing thing is, is that the doctors and the nurses really listened to me in terms of letting me go through it. They never came, they didn't come to, I mean, the nurse came to check on me to make sure that it was good, but I, I seemed to be going through all the phases that they were expecting me to go through. And so the doctors really just let me go through it, you know, which was quite surprising and really beautiful. I, I feel like I went through it all. <laughs> um, I even got to this phase, which I know I, I remember seeing my friend go through when I delivered her baby and the, um, the nurse was like, you're in the transition phase. It's great. You're almost at pushing um, because I, I almost got, gave up. You know, I was like, I don't know if I can do this anymore. The contractions were so consistent, like every, I don't remember, like 30 seconds or something or maybe more. And I was just in the bath, like almost giving up, but like, okay, pushing's coming. You know, the nurse was like, it's next, it's next. You're in transition. This is great. You can do it. Bria was super supportive. Um, I was like, okay, okay. And then the doctors came in and my cervix was still at four and a half centimeters and her head was still two centimeters above my cervix. So nothing changed. 
And now what it had been 24 hours um, at the hospital, that's not including the night before that I was um, in like with contractions all night at home, plus the two weeks, two and a half weeks of stop and start labor before that. So I was exhausted. Yeah, and sure. <laughs> I remember. And I remember, really yeah, in... And I just, I, I felt like there, I, I, I think also you were saying to me, like, you know, there's kind of two things here, either, either Nafi's in gotten her. Oh, I remember actually the night before, two nights before, maybe I got to the hospital. You're like, or maybe a, a few days before that. So maybe she's gotten herself in a funky position. I think we were talking about that with the, about the squiggling during the contractions, like, maybe you know go through that series what was it that you gave me the the like three extra three positions I could go mm-hmm. into a circuit yeah um so I what's it called there's a name for it right mile circuit yeah the mile circuit so I did yeah. that um even during during the contractions at the hospital I did that I did that like the night before I left I, I kept on doing those positions sort of help her get into a better position and you're like okay so there's two things here either she's gotten herself into a wonky position and she's just decided that she's not coming down um or you're still holding on to something you know subconsciously that's keeping you tight that's not allowing you to open so you know if she's not going to come down then you know obviously I think we'd have to go for a cesarean but if um if it's me that's holding on, then maybe the epidural would actually allow me to just relax. So even though I never wanted to do an epidural, um, I even skipped every chapter in every book I read about epidural because I thought to myself, I'm never doing that. Uh, there I was never, getting an never epidural. Never say never. Never say never. So I was there on the bed with oxytocin, oxytocin being pumped into me, continuing contractions and get the and getting the epidural and the, the, you know, the guy saying, hold still, don't move. And like, but I'm having a contraction. What do you mean don't move? So they put the epidural in me and um, I went to sleep. I slept for, I guess, four hours with the epidural in me in one of the positions that like from the mile circuit, I think with my leg up, hoping that she would switch her position. And the oxytocin continued to create contractions and push and push and or like pressure her down and she didn't move so the doctors came in and woke me up and um were so sympathetic and so wonderful it actually was two doctors that came in because they were switching shifts and they just sort of sat next to me and allowed Rivka to come on the phone and Bria was there and we all just had a discussion about what everybody is thinking is going on and the doctors think thought that her head was probably just too big for my pelvis and she you know at a certain point just decided to stop pushing her or stop allowing herself to come down and that kind of felt something felt like something was true in that you know um and you know everybody just explained to me the situation and I didn't feel any pressure from anybody in terms of go this way or go that way. I just was 
I w there was such a strong space held for me between Bria and Rivka and my naturopath also Anusha, who um, I feel like we're just really there holding space for me and giving me um, guidance that I felt like I made the decisions 100% um, clearly, even though I was in a like a super intense state, I felt very clear in making the decision um, without regret, you know, and without feeling any pressure from the hospital um, and their perspective. And the doctors were, you know, just saying, like one of the doctors said she had triplets and her belly was as big as my belly. <laughs> so my baby's pretty big. Um, and, um, you know, I didn't care that my baby was big. I didn't care if I tear, tore a lot. Miss that I wanted her to come out through my vagina, but um, I also wanted her to be healthy and it felt like that was the only option. And in that, because of COVID also my, you know, I was only allowed one person in the room. So I had chose Bria um, for me personally, uh, that whole pre-birth labor, active labor is very much a woman, woman thing. So even though my husband was holding space for me at home, like staying up for those 28 hours, praying and everything, um, it felt for me that it made more sense for Bria to be with me in the room. But since the cesarean was happening, that's where I felt my husband could come. So he got to come, which was awesome because I, I still, I also wanted him to be there when Nafi came out. Um, but with the COVID restrictions, he wouldn't have been able to be there until after she was already out. So in this case, I kind of got my wish where I wanted Bria there during the active labor and I wanted Binyam to be there once she emerged. So he came in like super quickly and was down in the room after an hour and they put another spinal in me, another anesthesia, which was pretty intense. And then... I yeah was lying down there and in like 10 seconds Nafi was on my arm <laughs> um on my chest and the amazing thing is that um the way Binyam was sitting there was a tv monitor I guess there for somebody to watch uh who was you know behind the blue curtain but he could see the tv so he actually saw them bring Nafi out of my stomach which I think is a very unique thing to get to see and um, they brought her to me as, as fast as possible and put her on my chest and that was the most amazing experience to just have her melt on me. Um, I do feel that one thing was challenging was um, I had said to them, I'd asked them to keep, I wanted the umbilical cord to be kept attached for as long as possible. And if it was at home, I would have kept it attached for a couple of hours until it stopped pulse or I don't know, um, until I felt it was time. But I had asked them to not cut it right away and to let it stop pulsing. And they told me they would, but Binyam saw that they cut it right away in that monitor. And that just disappoint, that was, that's one disappointment I have where, but I've worked through it because I know that, you know, the baby comes out, she's crying because she's coming out in a non-natural way and is a bit frantic and they still have to go in my stomach and move my organs around and get my placenta. So to have um, an umbilical cord connected at that same time, it could potentially cause unwanted um, movement. 
is my theory. Um, so that's why they cut it right away. But I do wish they would have just told me that, that, you know, it would be complicated to keep it, to keep it attached. But anyway, whatever <laughs> that, that happened. And, um, you know, I'm, she's healthy. I, I've heard some stories after of, uh, you know, babies that did try and push through and couldn't get their heads through and suffocated or, you know, just stories I definitely didn't want to hear before, but she's healthy. Um, her cone head is gone. <laughs> mm. It's round now, but yeah, she did have a bigger than average head. And, um, that's my story. So what would you say is the most important thing that you've learned from your birth journey? Definitely to, to listen openly without restricting um, what might need to happen by your own um, uh, your, your own perspective or like the, the way that you see it. I think, well, I, I mean, it's hard to, it's, 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 it's a very, it's like mothering <laughs> is what I've learned right now is it's a very fine balance between your instincts and what you know and what you want is right. And what your, your child knows intuitively and what they think is right and how you can find a middle ground between the two of you, you know? Um, it's no longer just about me and my perspective. You know, maybe Nafi's going to grow up and she's going to really be into the medical system and really believe that that's the way that is best for her health. Whereas that's super contradictory to what I believe, but that's what she believes, you know? And somehow that started there is that I need to listen to her and also listen to myself and guide her, but still allow her to guide me and without resistance and that I think is one of the most tricky parts about about mothering like even now I'm going through that with how she she needs to sleep versus like my own opinion of how I I you know I want to keep her I want to carry her all the time or I want to breastfeed her to sleep or these perspectives that I have for attachment parenting I guess it's called um but then she's not maybe you know, is she getting the best sleep? She sometimes isn't feeling like she's getting the or seeming to get the best sleep. But anyway, you know, it's, it's um, finding the balance. I, I see it always kind of as this teeter totter and like finding mm -hmm. that moment where you guys can both be uh, at an equilibrium balanced where both of your sides are heard and how you find that middle ground. Um, that was, I think, the, the first lesson I've had in my birth experience was the first lesson I've had in parenting like that. And there's many more to come. Oh <laughs> yeah. Already there's many more. Because <laughs> what you learn as a parent is that you're not producing a clone. You know, if all yeah. our job was just to produce someone exactly like ourselves, well, I mean, it's easy to force people to do things, you know, but if you're actually, having that 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 balance like you talked about it's 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 so much more challenging and so much more rewarding in the end you know you're you're just nourishing nourishing this person that's that's not you <laughs> exactly exactly and guiding them but being open to them also guiding you which, yeah yeah so if you had um 
if you had someone come to you newly pregnant and she was wondering about her birth choices, what to do, who to, you know, just someone without any idea, no, doesn't know anyone, doesn't have a community, what would you suggest to her? I would definitely suggest to, um, you know, close her eyes, visualize how she would like it to be, um, how she sees it to be in her perfect scenario, and then do the same exercise to like release that and somehow just know that that, that totally the opposite could happen and to be okay with that somehow to like I was meditating a lot on what I wanted to happen what I wanted to happen how I wanted to see it how it looked smooth um, but I think I needed to do more also meditation on letting go and allowing it to be how however it needs to be somehow <clears throat> um, and to then for sure have somebody that you feel close to that isn't connected to the medical system like a doula um or a doula i guess is, is <laughs> what you guys are um which i think is really important um i was so blessed bria's like a sister to me and her family is i'm very very close with her family so that it was a no-brainer she was just like yeah yeah i'm i'm with you throughout the whole thing for sure um if it wasn't for bria i don't know that i would have chosen to have a mid um, a doula because I had midwives um, but the what I did learn is that the midwives are are stuck inside of m protocols um, and I know that their perspective is to have these mother-led natural births but they have to answer to the public health system or whatever it's called. I don't know what it's called but they have to there's certain things that they they need to do um, to keep their jobs, I guess, yeah. uh, they're part of their protocol. Things, and Things they're not allowed right? to do as well. It's a, it's exactly. basically, yeah. Yeah, things they're not allowed to do, things they are allowed to do, things they have to do, they things that also they're, yeah. they, they become, um, you know, like, for example, after the birth, uh, she didn't get to her birth rate, birth weight right away, which put, they, they were so stressed out about it and put so much stress on me, which stopped my, my milk from coming in because I was so stressed and scared. And I mean, it, it was just all these things. And I learned, I learned a couple of days later when I spoke to my original midwife and she said, you know, like we're actually, if something were to happen to the baby and we didn't make you do X, Y, and Z, like with formula and blah, 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 then we are responsible. And we like, they somehow, I guess, like have to pay for the the issue that arises so they they're accountable for certain things which puts a lot of fear on their their work which makes them do things that put a lot of fear into the air which is against the practice so yeah yeah to answer your question i would say get a doula <laughs> um or at least have somebody who's very close to you who's very um well educated and versed in birth and all the things that could happen and be there to support you and hold space for you and um, hold your hand essentially through the whole thing without being tied down to um, preventative measures. I feel like our medical system mm -hmm. is all focused on pre pre preventative measures and prevent preventing things that might happen inevitably creates fear because you're looking at these possible horrible things yeah. rather than looking at the smooth um, great way that you know god made us able to do all these crazy things so. 
So do you have a community of other women who have birthed in the past year? Um, I wouldn't know, say necessarily community, but I have spoken to a lot of women. Yeah, I've spoken to a lot of women who, you know, during, are you referring also to during the pandemic? <laughs> during the no, I'm pandemic? not actually. The next oh, question is okay. actually about COVID. No, I'm just, you know, generally, even in spite of like, okay, we have a pandemic now, but even before the pandemic, I know that new mothers were mm -hmm. particularly isolated um, that sense of community often isn't there, especially with a birth story like yours where you don't fit into, oh, I just went into the hospital, had an epidural and a C-section, or yeah, I had a natural home birth. That's what I wanted. Like you, 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 you had the whole gamut of experiences and you're happy with it. You came out the other end being secure. So I'm wondering, first of all, uh, if you do have a community of, of other women who have birthed, and and how you feel when you're sharing your birth story with other mothers um, and and how you feel about, you know, do they share their birth stories? I feel I feel like there's a lot mm -hmm. of shame out there in the natural birth mm -hmm. community about, yes, I had a C-section. Um, yeah, for sure. Um, I, I, I don't have a necessarily community of people who've birthed in the past year, but I definitely, I mean, I know a lot of moms and I have a lot of friends who are mothers and I'm surprised, I've been surprised how much people don't share, um, at all. And, you know, it's funny because even though I'm, I'm, I'm happy with everything I went through, I do feel like that every, I got to experience everything except for pushing from, from a natural birth, but, um, I still, obviously, I had to go through some trauma with um, with Nafi, trauma release and healing with Nafi, both on her end from, you know, kinks and things that she had in her body from the long experience of labor and, and also like being pushed unnaturally with oxytocin and epidurals and all that stuff. And then also my body, a dancer's body with this pain in my back from a spinal and an epidural in my, you know, um, and then just like also the the connection that that natural um, connection you get when the baby comes out that spiral that she goes through and then that spiral that she goes through and then comes on to you there's like this this release that happens that that we didn't get to have so I've I've seen a lot of osteopath I've had a lot of osteopath appointments both for Nafi and me I probably went um, almost every week for a month or two um, or had one come to my house and also went and that I I also would recommend to anybody who has a c-section even even if you don't even if you have natural birth I would still recommend it I found that it was extremely helpful um, but for sure for a c-section uh, there was one moment that the osteopath worked on that spiral with Nafi and then put Nafi on me at the end and it's the first time I felt Nafi melt like that on my body um, and release and it was so powerful and she changed everything changed between our relationship after that moment um, and our flow so um, but I I remember looking after after I gave birth after you know sometimes I'd look on Facebook people I know that gave birth and I'd see them oh you know this is my baby their post of like this is my baby she came on this day she's healthy or he whatever and I remember always thinking like oh they're so lucky they had you know natural birth or I kept on having these sort of envious thoughts yeah 
of like, and you know, seeing them breastfeed or this or that. And me, I, ha I had a couple struggles with it, even though we're totally great now. And I remember feeling very envious of like, oh, this, this and that. And I finally shared my story on my Instagram, I guess a week ago or two weeks ago. And I was so surprised that meant, I think, all of the women that I had seen that gave birth, that I had that feeling of, oh, they had a natural birth, they had a natural birth, all of them had C-sections. Yeah, um, that's the thing, because they're hiding yeah. it. And I'm, that is why I'm, I'm so proud and full of respect for you to be sharing your story, because I know that there's part of you that's grieving that you didn't get the dream that you were having. And that's going to be yeah. something that you'll live with forever but that you're brave enough to go out there and say, this happened and this happened and this happened. And this is my baby's birth. And, you know, we're in this life together. And you, you, I think probably changed a lot of women's um, beliefs about themselves because there's a lot of shame involved in mm -hmm. having a C-section and, um, you know, that you brought that story out that just the fact that you were imagining there crazy natural births and then that you brought that story out and you know that now they're coming forth it means something yeah and it was it you know I, I didn't feel any shame uh, against my story but I felt I you know it's definitely um even at my mother's blessing ceremony I'd written in the email inviting everyone like you know I I'd like you to share, you know, positive stories with me so I can have that in my perspective and not be focusing on fearful stories. But even my wording in that, I had some people who wrote back saying like, you know, I, I, even though I had a C-section, I still see my story as positive. Or even though I, my baby was premature, I still see it as positive because I have a family. And I realized that my, just my wording in saying, in saying, please share only positive stories was sort of shaming others stories because every story is positive if the baby comes out alive and the mother's alive you know um, well whether uh, it's through you know honestly the last person well, that I interviewed had a miscarriage at um yeah. 16 weeks and you know what yeah. even her story like the the our right. women's stories have to be shared I think that's the bottom line we have yeah. to share our stories and build that that yeah. that that power amongst ourselves and you know whatever it is, maybe to stop thinking in that way of, you know, positive or negative right. and just like, this is my experience and, and this is your experience yeah. and let's build on that. Yeah, that's true. I remember reading in the, in, in one of the books that I was reading, I'm blanking on the name, sorry, baby brain, um, is uh, she was saying like, you know, people share these stories of pain and having so much pain and how horrible their experience was, but people rarely share also this natural birth because if somebody were to say, Oh, my birth was natural and I didn't have any pain. People will go like, yeah, right. You're totally lying or something like that, which I thought was interesting. You also don't hear very many stories of women not having pain. Um, but I think my baby needs to feed. I can, you can. Anyway. So um, it's also important to share yeah, yeah, I think it is. It's important to share all stories all and the to stories. see the positive. Yeah, see the positive in it. Um, and yeah, I was surprised those women, they wrote to me and said, I, I can't believe you had um, you had that experience because I didn't feel shame, but I know that because I had delivered a baby, you know, alone in Hawaii in the middle of nowhere, 
people expected, people had written to me being like, I can't wait to hear your birth story after yeah. the story I heard of you delivering a baby. So there was a little bit of these expectations from others that I was um, going to have had this amazing home birth, you know? Yeah, exactly. So that was a little bit hard to break that. Um, yeah. But I am very proud to have shared it and have those those friends who wrote back saying like wow I'm so happy you shared that because I'm very shamed by my story yeah um, exactly it's so powerful yeah I have one other woman who told me that she she has felt unable to share her story with anybody because nobody wants to listen um, she said she feels like nobody really wants to hear what I went through and she feels like she just can't talk to anybody and she said that she would love to share her story with me um, and, uh, you know, she felt she was forced a lot in the hospital yeah. to, you know, get the epidural or to do this or to do that. And she felt yeah. like she didn't, wasn't left with any choice. Yeah. Um, and that's why I'm also very thankful that you were there with me, Rivka, as I felt like I had, um, sometimes the doctors can be very persuasive and their perspective can, you know, when you're in that state, you just of course you want your baby to come out alive and they can kind of make you feel like if you don't do this your baby might not come out alive um so just having you on the phone and knowing you're a second away by like call um to be able to get that other perspective of like well you know some of that is true some of that isn't true but that's why i would say it's really important to have a doula um or someone with a lot of experience available with yeah available i think your um your experience was definitely very seriously affected by 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 the covid fact um just just you know the support that you that you didn't have the 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 fear uh that happened when the when the midwives were having to having to change your ideas of a of a home birth and and all of those things definitely affected your birth journey yeah, yeah, definitely. But Can I mean, the, that's, that, well, that's the reality for so many women. Um, this past year and a half, honestly, it's it's been a real, it's been a real year of, uh, I would say, struggle for birthing moms. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, if you want to just mention how, how you felt and. Yeah, I definitely agree. I I remember you saying at one point I was I remember I was going for a walk, bef- you know, at 41 and a half weeks, you know, wanting to get my labor starting so I didn't have to go to the hospital and talking to you and um you know, reviewing over that moment when she was squiggling frantically during the contractions and I remember you saying that you've been sp- speaking to a lot of doulas who had also re- noticed that babies have been reacting differently or like strangely or not wanting to come out. And I've mentioned that now to a few other women, especially women who have come forth um, sharing that they had these C-sections. And, you know, I, I actually, now that you're talking about it, I know quite a, women, a few women who have been pregnant over the past year and a half and given birth. And um, I think I only know one who ended up having a natural birth um, out of all of them. And you know, it may just be that the babies just feel like scared to come out or the moms are, you know, we're unsure. I think I found um, two things really difficult. 
One is the postpartum. That's something, first of all, I feel postpartum is not spoken about enough. And yes, I've heard, you know, postpartum's hard, but I didn't even know what postpartum meant. I thought postpartum meant what it sounds like of like, you know, the, the feeling of, you know, your baby and you being disconnected for the first time and, you know, the emotional trauma that could come about with that. But I didn't really understand how intense it is and how much support you need during postpartum and how much you don't get from the medical system. Well, especially during COVID, honestly. Especially during COVID. How much you don't get without without even the extra kind of added excuses of, of COVID. For sure. Exactly. So my my midwives weren't allowed to come to do home visits after at postpartum. They could come once and they were only supposed to come for 15 minutes. So that meant that I was supposed to do a Zoom call with them. And I'm like, I personally didn't want my baby to be around my phone or computer um, as much as possible. So there I am having to like put a computer next to me and my baby um, and have my baby look at a screen, which I didn't want to do for an hour as my postpartum like a checkup and then she's supposed to come to the house for 15 minutes what can you do in 15 yeah. minutes yeah exactly um and, then, and she's only supposed to come once instead of however many times usually they come five or six times i think yeah so that was traumatic and and then again my family lives in vancouver so they couldn't and they were unable to come due to COVID reasons. And, um, you know, you're not supposed to have a bubble, you know, at that point, I wasn't even allowed a bubble of friends. So it was just me and my husband in the house. Like, it, it just doesn't make sense. It, yeah, it was definitely an extreme of, uh, of that kind of alienation that many mothers feel in, in modern times. And, I mean, I'm just hoping that this whole COVID experience will will give us, uh, us as women and as mothers, the power to to change. Because if we haven't changed it, you know, we haven't we haven't changed it up until now. Hopefully, this will be the extra push that we need to really to really change it. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted you to share your story because these stories need to be told. The judgment that's mm-hmm. behind all of these stories, you know, is is wrong. And whatever your story is, it needs to be shared, and we need to we need to pull together so that we can mm-hmm. just not be so isolated. Yeah, totally, not be so isolated, and also stand like yeah, stand unified and with a solidarity. Also, maybe I don't know, I don't know, maybe it's extreme, but I feel like changing the medical system a little bit. I don't maybe it's yeah. extreme, but oh, not even a little bit. I would say changing the metal, medical system a lot. There's so many things lot, to change. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and it's just like if we're gonna have a midwifery um, practice, then it needs to be a midwifery practice. And exactly, it, it, I mean that's it, the thing that, that the system. Be. It's not allowed to be because the system doesn't want it to be. Like if there was an yeah. actual midwifery practice, then I would be out there practicing midwifery, you know. But no one wants mm-hmm. people out there practicing midwifery if they're not, um, you know, under the thumb of the uh, of the directives. And I know that there are also uh, traditional birth attendants out there, possibly listening to the podcast, and and uh, like more power to them. They're in situations where they can go in and. Um, and provide care and that's amazing and wonderful 
but uh you know in some places it's easier and in some places it's it's way more restrictive yeah so totally and it, it's yeah. interesting because i i keep on going through it in my mind like you know, um, what if I was in Ethiopia, like my baby's half Ethiopian, like, what if I was in Ethiopia at the time? Would I have had the same experience? Would I have, would I have, you know, would the fear, was it the fear that stopped her from pushing down? Was it that like biologically, my my genetic hips, pelvis is not big enough for her genetic head or whatever, you know, like, was it a genetic thing? Or was it the fear? We just don't know, you know, and you'll never know. And that's why I think, what you're saying is so valid is that we shouldn't be shamed if we have a c-section because we don't know why it happened necessarily you know the doctors kept on saying to me well you know with these statistics you know there's this many deaths of this many like and I'm like yeah but your statistics are taken from a in a country where fear and the medical system is a certain way and the preventative exactly. you're putting preventative measures so the statistics don't make sense you know no they me, don't make they any sense they, yeah. They're not telling me anything, you know. If you told me statistics of like the women in the jungle, then maybe I'll listen. <laughs> what I mean, saying. the thing is, though, the bottom line is for me with you, like I was there throughout this whole experience with you. And I have to say, the bottom line for me was if you had just like during those one of those dances, just like gone down and squatted and started grunting, mm-hmm. then I would know that like that's what your body is doing, that's what your body's talking about, that's what's happening. But Mm -hmm. for some reason, and we'll never know why, that wasn't what was happening. So, and like, I've experienced enough birth uh, situations in countries like Ethiopia where, you know, there isn't the ability to go to the hospital. And like, we lose mums and babies in other parts of the world. So Mm -hmm. who knows, Mm -hmm. right? Just who knows? Um, We'll never know. The important thing is let's just, let's live with what we have. Let's accept our stories. Let's not shame each Mm -hmm. other and let's pull together so we can change some of the more ludicrous things about the medical establishment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm with you on that for sure. And I think it's exactly what you're saying. It starts by sharing and having that community. And I, I don't know what it is not in COVID, but I definitely I don't even, I don't have any new mom friends because I didn't have any, like, um, there was no, you know, um, pre-labor classes or whatever that they yeah. would usually have at the midwife center. Those were all yeah. canceled. We didn't even have them yeah. on Zoom. They didn't even prepare them. So I never met another mom that was pregnant while I was pregnant, which yeah. is so alienating. Yeah. 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 Totally. So I'm going to wrap up i'm sure that we could talk for another few hours um and i think we should and i think i'm i'm actually starting thinking now about creating a community for all of us because we need to have that community but in the meantime i'd like you to wrap up um just with one word for our listeners what is the one word that you would want us all to share hmm um one word <laughs> uh, okay you could have maybe one or two but words, like yeah yeah like i think like let go that was um let go like we for me that was something that i was challenged with i was good at le- like letting go of fear but <clears throat> letting go of control and letting go of judgment just letting go so 
it's letting go of shame, letting go of judgment, letting go of, of all of those things that we need to let go of. Um, I think we as women uh, somehow need to feel in control or need to um, hold it together and be strong. And also, we also just need to let go and, and show our vulnerability and show our weaknesses and, and, and yeah. Thank you. As it came to mind anyway. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you, Rivka. That was wonderful to share. It's healing and it's so it really was yes, so healing and so powerful. Thank you so much. Thank you.